again, and I kind of got it interrupted uh, a little bit by little things like vacations, and uh, had a guest speaker in a couple weeks ago that uh, I, I love, Dr. Crutchley from Carson Newman. But today we're going to pick up where we left off uh, in, in a series called Filters. And the, the big idea behind this is that temptation, that sin, just never comes right at you. It always comes with a filter attached, like Instagram, like Snapchat, like uh, other, like just your photos and your phone. You can put filters on those to make it look a little better than it is, to kind of change it up. And that's what happens. That's what happens in our lives when temptation comes. It's never uh, the whole story. There's always something that's hidden from you. And there is always a lie attached to uh, that temptation. And it's usually one that's tailor-made just for you. So as we begin, and I was going to go back and look at that, I'm going to remind you uh, in just a moment about the stages, the phases of that, and how that unfolds. But uh, let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for today. I thank you for the students uh, who've worshipped and led us in worship today, for these new parents, uh, Father, these precious children. Father, I thank you for uh, giving us this place and this time and this moment. And now, Spirit, I am ask that you would teach us from your word. And I have believed now for a couple of weeks that this message uh, not because I'm doing it or anything like that, but I, I honestly think that you want to do something significant in a specific life today, and I've felt that affirmation uh, leading up to this moment. And uh, so I ask that you would have complete freedom. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and to our minds, and that, Lord, we would lean into what you have for us, and we would be alert uh, when you... When you do that, when you communicate to our hearts and to our minds, and I pray that you would bring salvation today. I pray that you would bring correction, that you would change the course uh, of lives and relationships this morning. And I'm trusting you to do that. And we may never know, we may never hear about some of the things and the beautiful, powerful things that you do uh, over the next few moments and hours and days and weeks. But uh, I believe in you and I believe you're doing something in that. So uh, you have this time and Spirit, you have all the liberty uh, that, we can, that we can offer uh, for you to move in this moment. In Jesus' name. So we've used kind of, you know, different scriptures. And what I've kind of tried to do is for these messages that are linked together to be like one long message. So we use one scripture that goes into another scripture, and then we'll pick up with that and let that scripture be a part of the next message, if, that, if I'm making sense, and then on into the, to the next week. So, uh, so you have to come every week. You know? uh, but if you didn't you know, have the opportunity to be here last week, let me just bring you forward a little bit. We talked about the three stages of temptation and uh, how these sins seem to to be pretty common for all of us. I know we've got a lot of different backgrounds and different things that have brought us uh, into this place and into this moment, but we all have some things in common, and that is typically the way uh, that we're tempted. There is desire, which, you know, in James, some of your old translations may say lust, you know, that our personal lust, that's actually a neutral word, and it can be a good thing, uh, like the desire of these parents we saw today to raise their children to know the Lord. It's the exact same word uh, that could be used in a negative way to say, you know, lust or something that's, you know, not for the right intent or that's inappropriate. And then that leads to sin, and then sin will eventually, always, always, it will lead to death. It will lead to some kind of a death in your life. And we illustrated that last week, or we used as a foundation uh, the life of Adam and Eve, and we saw how they sinned in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to fix this here um, real quickly there. Um, we saw how the stages worked just like that uh, in their lives and how they sinned and were led away to that. Today we're going to look at another uh, biblical illustration of a man named David and how he was led to sin in pretty much the same way. And if you'll look for this, you'll see this pattern in your own life. 
whatever the sin is, is almost like over here to the side. And there's a variety of temptations for us today. And like I said a moment ago, they're pretty much specifically made and tailored for, for each of us. Uh, but that's the way that works. Now, in James chapter 1, in verse 13 to 17, it's kind of a familiar scripture for some of us, uh, but it may be new to you. He pretty much unfolds this is how uh, you know, temptation occurs and how it happens. So let me find verse 13, and let's pick up there. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. <laughs> For God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire... When it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So there it is. And I drew this diagram uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I'll put it for you, so I'm going to show you, just kind of illustrate, this is in my journal, and that's why this, I figured out a new way, a better way, because I, I write things, if you're new to Calvary, I draw things a lot, uh, but this is kind of how it works, there's temptation, and when you're being tempted, you haven't sinned yet, okay, some people have a false sense of guilt, or the enemy will not only tempt you, but attach shame to that temptation, and you think, oh, because I'm tempted, I, you know, no, you know what? You're, that's going to happen. That's going to happen for every one of us. Did you know that even Jesus was tempted? Can you think about that? Jesus was tempted. There's no sin. You haven't sinned yet, and that's going to come. But then there's this lure. There's this bait that kind of matches. You know, when you go hunting, uh, when you go fishing, uh, whatever it is you want to catch your trap, you're going to put something that's appealing, Right? So you're going to do that, and that's the lure, and that's what the enemy does, and he entices us. So he puts those things together, and he makes it very appealing. He's going to hide the consequences. He's going to hide uh, all the damage and the hurt and everything. That's, that's going to be downplayed a lot, uh, and then that's going to be hooked and linked to your personal desire. If there's something that you've never had an interest in, and you think, wow, that, he's probably not going to, that's not going to be his go-to behavior for you. But he's going to come to you at a place where you're vulnerable and where you've probably been hurt. There's going to be a place in your heart and a place in your life uh, that out of that woundedness where you're tender and where it'd be easy for him to work his way into your life and to exploit you. Because he's ruthless and he's relentless and he doesn't care. He's not, you know, he's, he doesn't care. So he would even take a place in you where... Uh, you're just, you think, oh, but that's, that's like a sacred place. That's a, that's a hurtful place. That's a place I've tried to put away. No, he will bring that back and try to use that. And that's, that's your desire. That's what that word means. Uh, and then so this temptation comes. You can see all the way over, plus that desire. And then there's a conception of that. That comes. And then there's a birth of sin. Uh, the, the behavior, the acting out of that happens. And that's where, that's where you've sinned. You, up until now... You haven't sinned, but then the sin comes, and then that sin grows up and produces death. Death in your life, death in relationships. That's the way that works. So it's not a sin to be tempted, but it's our response to the temptation that can either lead you to life and a death and an intimacy with the Lord and with others, or it'll lead to death of that. Now, I meant to ask Kevin about this question, and I told him, I said, I've got a question for you, and then we both got going in different directions, and I didn't get to come back and to see if he would affirm this or not. So I'm just going to ask you in front of everybody. <laughs> he knows. It's music. I'm married to a piano teacher uh, who has taken piano for years and years and then taught that for years and years and years. She wasn't sure about this either. But Christian counselor John White uses a piano to illustrate how the devil attacks each person individually and differently. Now, the idea is this, and I did Google it, okay? I know how to do my research, and I can type this in. 
And I read several articles, one by a physicist that said, yes, it's actually, this is true. Under certain conditions that you could perform this scientific experiment, this musical experiment, and that it would really work. Uh, we haven't tried it, so I don't know. But here's the idea. If you open a piano, and I think you have to push the pedal so that the strings are free. He's nodding, okay. Um, and that if you sing into it, that the string of the corresponding note will begin to vibrate. <gasps> you think that's true? You don't, you don't think, you think? He's kind of got a charismatic, maybe, maybe it will. Um, but that's the idea. And I, I want you to see, you know, whether you can make that work or not, that that's how, you, and you've seen the illustrations, it's the same principle from what I understand, that if you set a real thin, uh, wine glass and you sing, you know, kind of an operatic style that you can break the glass with your voice because the frequency of your voice matches the frequency of that and it bursts the glass. You've probably seen that. It's the same idea, same principle. I'm talking about it too much, but I hope you get the idea that that's the way the devil works. And that's the way he attacks each individual. And what I've discovered is not just individuals, but communities and cultures and places. We all have these characteristics and attributes that are common. And you've seen that. Maybe in your family, there is a stronghold or there's a weakness or there's a tendency. And you think, well, that doesn't really have anything to do with me. That's just my family. Well, no, you came from that family. Or maybe you've seen that when you have visited other churches or communities or you've been to certain places and you thought, well, I can remember being in one place and I had flown in and then drove uh, out to this place and out in the middle of nowhere. And I remember stepping out onto the ground and almost could feel an atmospheric difference, a change. Have you ever been somewhere like that where you just maybe you feel the presence of the Lord and you think, wow, I feel the presence of the Lord. I was at a, at a memorial site recently and I could just feel this heaviness and this grief almost physically attached or atmospherically attached to this place. Um, and, and I don't want to get too far with that, but some of you know what I'm talking about because you can go back to a home or to a place or into an environment and you think, wow, I just really sense something kind of spiritual or a darkness or a brightness uh, at that place. So that can expose a weakness or a flaw or a growth area uh, for maybe for you or for you know, a place or, 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 a, or a group of people. The, here's the thing. The devil cannot make a good person bad. What he does do is takes a, take a flawed person and makes her worse. The devil will exploit, he will play on what is already there, okay? So here's the question, you know, as you read James 1 and you think, wait a minute, you know, that verse 13 when, when he says, don't let anybody say I'm being tempted by God, you know, because he's our scapegoat, right? We've used God, we blame him for so many things. Well, if the Lord, Lord, if you had been there... You know, even in scripture, you see stories where people come back on Jesus and say, if you had been there, this wouldn't have happened. Or if you had, if you had done this in my life, then I wouldn't have done it. And it's, it's kind of this way we say, it's kind of, it's really at the end of the day, it's your fault. Even that first sin, when Adam's trying to explain to the Lord, God's like, what are you doing hiding out here? And he goes, well, the woman you gave me, you gave me this girl, and you know I wouldn't have done this on my own, but she did, and you kind of, it's really back on you. We have that tendency. So what James is saying is, enough of that. You know, you can't, you can't do that. So why then would, did Jesus pray and taught us to pray in this most famous of all prayers, lead us not into temptation? Oh, Lord, don't lead me into temptation. When God says, I don't tempt you, that's not me, then why would Jesus say, please don't lead us into temptation? And I was asked that question, so I thought I'd attempt an answer to it. So in this verse, in verse 13, it says God is not the one. He doesn't lead us uh, to sin. That would be so contrary to who he is. 
and his holiness and his hatred of sin and how he knows that. And all the commandments that you've ever read, right, from the Old Testament all the way through, there's never room for, there, there's never an allowance for sin. There's never this space that God says, well, you know what, because he knows it always, always, always leads to death. It always leads to some kind of death. So he's not going to be a part of that because Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. You see how contradictory that would be? How opposite that would be of his character and his nature. So we know that God's not doing that. And he wants us, and again and again in scripture tells us, you need to flee from, you need to avoid sin. You need to flee from temptation. You need to get out of there. So the Lord's model prayer, then Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Why would we make that part of that prayer? I think this request for God to lead us not into temptation is kind of is an indication that he wants us to avoid that. To even avoid temptation. I think for most of us, we kind of take a few steps back and we think, well, I'm going to avoid sin. I'm going to avoid sin. But I kind of like temptation, you know. Lord, if you could push temptation out of my life, but not all the way, because just a little bit, you know, just, I think we kind of have that, but this should be a primary concern for Christians, not just avoiding sin, but avoiding getting close to it, you know, getting, getting near uh, the sin. Uh, the idea of God leading his people has been the strong theme all through scripture. And you think about how many times uh, you have thought, oh, Lord, would you lead us? How many times have you prayed that? Maybe as a dad in your family or maybe the leader of a small group, or, you know, you've said, Lord, would you guide us this week into this week? And would you, that's just so natural for us. I don't know if you've ever thought about how we desire for the leadership of the Lord to be in our life. We don't want to do this by ourselves. And that was the sin. That was the rejection of God by Adam and Eve. What they were basically saying, it wasn't just eating the fruit and that it was, they said it, it was delightful and it looked good to the eye and that it would lead to this wisdom, this insight, this independence from God. And at the root of so much of our sin and that temptation is this desire for us to be independent, for us to be on our own. Let me call the shots. And isn't that funny that we would blame God on one hand, but on the other hand, we want to make the decisions. And I want to call that, and I, want to, I don't want you to tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do, and I just want you to bless it. And if you could just be around, if all things fall apart and the wheels come off, then I'm going to be back and I'm going to need you to kind of help me with this. And he's saying, no, I need you to avoid that because I want to be your leader all the time. And I was reading through scripture uh, and I saw how many times this shows up, especially in the Psalms, where it says, Lord, would you lead me today? Would you guide me today? And when you think about all those biblical characters, all those specific people, how often they were looking to the Lord for leadership, whether it was Moses or Abraham or, or Paul or Peter, any of those people that always got their eye on the Lord, came, what do we do next? Where do you want us to go? Whether it's in their personal life or in ministry. So that's a big idea. So along with leading us toward good, we understand that we're asking God to lead us away from evil, from sinfulness, from wickedness. And so that petition in the Lord's Prayer, not to be led into temptation, it, it kind of comes back. It reflects that the fact that we just want to and need to avoid the dangers of sin altogether. And that's where temptation ends. So, uh, when you think about that, where Jesus is teaching us kind of to pray, do not allow this. Don't, would you not permit me to be tempted? Not just to sin, you know, but would you not even let me get tempted? Would you not put me in that situation? Would you steer me around that? Because God has control over the tempter, and he could save us from the, the power of that sin by just avoiding the whole temptation of it. And that's the sense that I think about when I read that scripture and when we're pleading to God, don't lead us in temptation. Uh, it, it also means that little word temptation in, in your scripture, it may be translated different ways. The word trials. And basically, it's, it is, it, actually it is literally the same word. You can only tell the difference by the context when, you, when you're reading that. 
So it's like, God, don't lead me into temptation, but don't lead me into these trials. Would you help me to avoid these, these contests? And Lord, I, I may lose that, and, and I just want to submit myself to you. So these trials and sufferings. And you know what? I think it's totally appropriate for you to pray. Lord, if you could just help me, if you could steer me down a different way. It's not wrong to pray, uh, to be delivered from that. But sometimes God may have a purpose. He may have some reason that I can't see and that you don't understand why he's allowing you to experience what you're experiencing. And his ideas, motivation behind that is that you would be victorious. But it's, it's right. The believer is totally in line uh, to, be, you know, to ask, God, I want to be delivered from testing. I don't want to take this test today. Uh, and I'm going to ask that you would just let me avoid it completely. But if it does come, would you give me the strength to endure it and to know how to do that? So that's what lead me not into temptation uh, means. And I can illustrate that in a couple of ways. One way I thought about is, you know, I'm going to bring my grandchildren into this illustration. Okay, so we're at the beach and we're having a good time and we go out to eat at night. And the boys always finish fast, and they get bored. They're one and three, and they get tired. So oftentimes, I will get up, I will finish because I eat really fast like a college student. You know, it's like, I got to And I think that's where you learn to eat fast, and it's not a good thing. But isn't that true? That's where we're trained. Some of you did because it meant survival. And I was brought up in a home where it's like every person for himself, and you either eat or it's gone and you didn't get to. Good luck. Wait till the next time comes around. So I, I'm finished with my meal. And um, now the one-year-old, Graham, has noticed that Riley, the three-year-old night, we get up and go and we go have fun. We go walk around and we go outside and do these other things. So he starts watching toward the end of the meal. He'll start and he know he's not going to let us escape. And he starts, he wants to go with us. So I take them with me and we walk like, you know, back and forth, wherever we are in front of the restaurant. Well, next door to this restaurant, there's this one of those little beach shops, you know, you know where they just sell all kinds of junk. Pardon me, junk. And, um, you know, beachy junk. And it's, it's sort of a... So wait, but what was I thinking? I go in, because it looks kind of cool and interesting. So I go in there, and there's all this beachy stuff, and they're not real interested yet. Graham did like the giant duck. But other than that... He's just, we're just kind of looking, but as we walk, there's this, this little kind of a hall, not hallway, you know, aisle, that's what you call it, aisle, and then there's a, an, uh, an open place about the size of that platform, and inside that, it's not beachy stuff, it's just toys. How tricky, how wicked of a beach shop to present themselves as a beach shop, but they hide the fact that it's also a little toy store. So we go in there, you know, and I go in, I look at it, and so I, again, here I am leading my, my I said, you could have one thing, because I'm a grandfather. What do grandfathers do? You can all have one thing. You can all have a toy. Woohoo! it's Christmas every day. You know, and we found that we could all be in the same room together, and either of our grandsons, they know to go to Kathy or me. They have a question, they'll scan the room and go, oh, there's my best shot right there. And they'll come to me, can I have this? Can I do that? And the answer with us is always, yes, well, of course you can, <laughs> you precious little thing. Here. And so we got in the toy uh, section, and I go, yes, you can have, you can each pick out a toy. Oh, that was, you know, how many toys are in there? Graham is one year old. He, he's in that phase where he loves balls. Any kind of ball, a big ball, a little golf ball, a t any kind of ball. Well, there is, why would they do this? On the floor, at his level, there's a big box with all kinds of balls in it. So he just starts saying, ball, ball. And he picks them up and just starts throwing them <laughs> all over the store. And as he would throw one, his little arms would come up in celebration. <gasps> And then he would throw another one. So I'm looking at the annoyed assistant, you know, the person behind the counter who was having so much fun with their phone until we came in. And I'm chasing the balls going, I'm so sorry. Yeah, let me, I'll get, I'm going to get that. It went under, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm getting the ball, you know, and I'm trying to put them back. In the meantime, Riley, the three-year-old, who is at that stage where he loves anything that shoots. We are a 
violent redneck southern family. <laughs> we teach our children to shoot things. So he's, he's, he sees water guns and he sees anything, Nerf guns, everything that shoots, he's fascinated by. So he finds this gun that's just, it's totally inappropriate. It shoots these discs. Every parent hates those because you find them in the vacuum cleaner, you find them everywhere. And he wants that. And I said, well, it says here you got to be 12 years old. What are you, three? Now, you're not getting this for a long time. This, this is, he said, you said I could have any toy. Oh, he's trapped me with my own words. And I'm, I'm looking at it, and I start thinking, he is pretty mature for it. And I'm thinking, no, what am I saying? No, he can't have this. You can have this other thing. You can have this. So I'm trying, and then, oh, there's some more balls, you know, over here. And I'm thinking, you know, and I'm, what did I do? I led them into temptation. I led them into temptation. I saw a mother in the supermarket and she's about to turn her basket and she looks and it's the candy aisle and she's got little kids with her and whatever else was on that aisle, you could see the wheels turning. You could see that she made the decision. We'll get that another trip. <laughs> <laughs> and she led the children away from that so that they wouldn't be tempted. Because she knew, like all of us know, who've ever even been near parenting, that the minute they see that, if, isn't it something in the checkout? Have you noticed how all the candies and things like that, they put at this level? Isn't that something? And then you know, they, oh, and all of a sudden, that's the most important thing in the world, and they've got to have it. So she led them out of temptation. So what Jesus is saying is, it's totally okay for you to say, Lord, today, Please don't lead me down the candy aisle. <laughs> Please keep me off that. That's what we pray. You see, some of our hearts and our desires, and they're so wired into us that we we don't pray that. We we kind of we lean away from that because we sort of like the temptation. I don't want to sin, but well, I kind of like that temptation. So you linger. So you walk down that aisle. You go to that place, and you say, "No, this is where." We pray, lead us not into temptation. And our goal is really in the second part of this verse, from verse 13 there, it says, deliver us from the evil one. Because he's, he's seeking to kill you. He wants to destroy you. In Psalm 141.4, David prayed, do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I may take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. See, he's praying that strong prayer because God wants to be your deliverer. He wants to be your deliverer, and he's going to show you how. Uh, and I will show you a, a way, uh, a, an idea, a process to, to help you with temptations because we can avoid these by being alert and being cautious and just being smart. Just being smart. I had a friend who for years struggled with alcohol. And he would get off work and he'd be so stressed. And every day he'd drive home. And there was a particular bar he really liked. And he knew everybody there. And he said, I can't help it. It's like my car is like a magnet. And I just drive right past it. And I just I pull in. I don't know what to do. I said, is there no other way you could go home? He said, well, yeah, I could go around this way. I said, well, go that way. You know, and just don't even drive past it. You see, don't put yourself in that place. And that's the idea. Whatever your desire, whatever is built into you, build some boundaries. Be smart about this. If you're struggling with porn, think through how that happens and how you can avoid that by just being smart ahead of time. If it's whatever it is. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick something today because I think it's very dangerous temptation, and I think it's affecting our communities and our families and our homes, and I think the Lord has led me to this particular one because I think it may be you. It may be someone in this room who can avoid all kinds of heartache and death and problems and trouble uh, by applying this next part to their, to their lives. Um, I was reading, I always read the handbook for the U.S. Department of the Interior. Uh, it's just, no. but uh, 
Now, I did see this. It makes a lot of sense. Perimeter protection is the first line of defense in providing physical security for a facility. Perimeter protection. Now, we have been to some third world countries. We've been to some places where there's been a lot of unrest. Uh, when we first began to go years ago to Romania and Eastern Europe, uh, communism had just fallen. And so it's still a real shaky kind of place. And I, I only went about three times, but I saw the embassy and I saw the levels of security. Saw the same thing in Port-au-Prince. I went there eight times and uh, the, the, um, the embassy is pretty close there to where we would, uh, we would stay, the house we would spend the nights in. And there was like one level here of these concrete, those poles, you know, those barricades. And then there was another level of something else, like, you know, the, the barbed wire and the fence. And then there was a, a, a stone fence. And on the inside, and there's these security doors and there's armed guards. There is these levels, not just one thing, but they're, they're play. And you kind of get that idea. And that's what this is talking about. So the principle of per perimeter protection to protect our national security, or even at your house. Some of you will lock the door, and then you have an alarm system, and then maybe you'll lock an inside door, and you, know, and, and you, re you see what you're doing is that you're creating uh, perimeters. That's pretty smart. So I want to look at four perimeters in the life of King David and how he violated those, and it caused him so much hurt into the people around him. So here are the perimeters. If you want to protect the relationship that you're in, in your marriage, you'll listen closely to these. If one day you hope to be married, you think, I'm not even dating anybody right now, perfect. Then you can learn this ahead of time. Remember last week we talked about the principle of kind of making pre-decisions before you're in a situation where you have to make a decision. You think, oh, well, I've already decided that. I decided that before I got to this moment, so I don't have to wrestle with that because in the moment, you're not going to make a bad decision. I mean, you're a good decision, right? How many times have you been in the moment of temptation and you think, well, now here I am and uh, you're just, you're going to be swept away. So to this morning, you can make this decision. So here are the perimeters. First of all, there was the visual perimeter. And I got some insight from a counselor with focus on the family who uh, kind of affirmed uh, these. According to the government handbook on perimeters that I mentioned a moment ago, it said every vulnerable point should be protected to deter or prevent unauthorized access. And the first, and I think the most vulnerable point of access uh, that you have to protect is the perimeter of your eyes. What you see. What you look at. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, the Bible says, One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of his palace. Nothing wrong with that. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Now, the importance of guarding that visual perimeter I can't exaggerate that. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, there's times you can't avoid looking at the opposite sex, okay? You, you, we're all in this together. We're not going to separate boys and girls, you know? Uh, do you remember the song, Reuben, Reuben? I've been thinking, and only my generation will remember that, where we just totally separate everybody. I don't think that's going to work anyway, uh, because you may, have, you may struggle with same-sex attraction. It's the same principle, okay? It's, it's when you look. David's problem wasn't just that he caught sight of Bathsheba. Whoa, there's a girl bathing on the roof. No, he kept looking at her with lust in his heart. Be on guard when you find yourself looking and looking and looking because that's the first perimeter. 
that long protracted look with lust can lead to the violation of the next perimeter. And somebody said, uh, we were in a coffee shop once and this just beautiful woman who was very provocatively dressed came in and I was with the staff. So we're all trying to be as spiritual as possible and we're all watching each other, oh, 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 you know, to see if they glance. And, and it's kind of like the first look you can't avoid. The second look you kind of could have and should have. So that's the first perimeter is a visual perimeter. The second one is a mental perimeter, an emotional perimeter. Once the eyes have allowed a, a perimeter violation, it's not long before, remember that desire that James talked about in the first chapter of desire, that, that curiosity? That's gonna kind of begin to be activated. So he had this unhealthy, this, this inappropriate gaze where he's just staring, he's just creeping out on Bathsheba. He's just over on his house and he's looking at her. So he's, he's, he just kept looking uh, like that and then here's what happened in verse 3. David sent someone to find out about her. Who's that? Go find out who that is. Because the mind will start getting filled up with whatever it is the eyes are looking at. Whatever that is, it begins to work in a mental and an emotional way. Uh, a violation of the visual perimeter is going to require, it's going to necessitate this enforcement of this mentally. And the enemy knows that, and he knows the way your mind works. So at this point, all kinds of bells and whistles and alarms and everything should be going off in your head and in your heart. And usually it does, particularly if you're a follower of Jesus. I mean, just your conscience will do that. If you're married, especially, that's going to go off. If you're in an engagement relationship, I mean, all these alarms will go off. And you have, a, and if the Holy Spirit is in you, it's going to be cranked up to volume 10. And now you're at this place where you're making decisions. And you'll find yourself, you start thinking about that person. You start uh, imagining. You start fantasizing. And you start, uh, you're moving into that. Uh, emotionally you see mentally you start doing that and then that's going to lead to you being at the same place they are and then you're going to be you're going to start texting and you're going to start uh, sending messages and you're going to start talking and you're going to start you see what's beginning to happen and this could be a conversation that just lasts a little too long with a co-worker or a newly found friend or your neighbor or something and you, and you can always at this point I know what you'll do. At this point, you'll justify it and say, well, we're just talking. It's just innocent. But the, why did the alarms go off? Because you're headed in a direction. You're headed in a direction. Uh, and you're going to look back on that one day and go, well, this is where, this is where it seemed innocent. It didn't seem hurtful. Uh, but he, he moves from his eyes dwelling on this beautiful woman over there to now his mind and his heart was starting to, to dwell there. And when the mind becomes activated like that, there's so much he can feed into you, and you're in dangerous territory. You're in a dangerous place. And I'm telling you that as your friend and as your pastor because I love you. And you can reject that. You can push back. And I'm going to tell you a verse in just a minute that, uh, it's, boy, it's really, really good. Uh, but, but, but your heart knows. I'm, I'm, just, I'm telling you the truth. So it's at this point that David's son Solomon gives us a lot of wisdom. He said, above all else, above everything else, guard your heart. Don't let your heart lean into something, your mind, your will, your soul. Uh, and the reason we guard our heart is in the second part of that verse because he said, everything you do flows from there. Everything you do flows out of your heart. So if he can get your heart, you see, it's not even a physical or a sexual or whatever temptation yet. He's just working on your mind because he knows the stages. He knows the process to take you through. So he's going to get your heart. He's going to pull you there. And if it remains unchecked at that point, that mental and that emotional, that, that violation is going to flow 
and it's gonna get physical. And that's the next perimeter, physical perimeter. It wasn't long before David, he's, he's gonna move from just thinking about it, just fantasizing about it, to acting out. In 2 Samuel eleven four, it says, then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him. You see, he's, he's doing something now. He's not just thinking about it. You see, he's, you know, because emotional, uh, that, that proximity leads to the desire for physical proximity. And how can you tell? Because I know some of you, you're still thinking, man, you know, I'm still, there's nothing inappropriate about this and everything. So how can you tell if you've set, you know, that perimeter, if you're, if you're moving into a bad place? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you begun to look for times when you might coincidentally run into that other person? Are you trying to arrange meetings at work with just that person? Will you end up maybe at social gatherings and it's just you and that person? Are you having extended working lunches? Still so innocent, right? But in your heart, you know, it's not. It's not a good idea. You just shouldn't. You just shouldn't do that. Um, we're very careful on staff. We think, okay, I'm not. You know, one of the assistants called once and said, "Can you come get me? My car's broken down." I said, "Nope, because <laughs> I'm not going to ride in the car with you, and I'm not going to sit on a red light at Kingston Pike and look over and go, hey, Deacon.' <laughs> yeah, no. You know what? Just be smart. Lunches, meals alone with another person, huh? I could give you a list, but you know what? I'm going to let you do that. But uh, I'm just asking. I'm just going to ask you questions. Are you having those? Are you lingering with that person after the gathering? Everybody's gone home, but you're still there. You're, you're the only ones in the building together. Just asking. Each perimeter violation is going to bring you physically closer. And it's, it's going to feel exciting. It's going to be adventurous. And it's going to be kind of this... Oh, wow, this is kind of a thrill. This is something that feels risky or dangerous or whatever. You're, you're going to, you know what? You're going to mess around and destroy your relationship. You're going to destroy your marriage. You're going to destroy your engagement. Because it's going to lead to this, you know, there's this last perimeter. And it's a sexual perimeter. And it all started with just looking out over the balcony. It just all started with going out on the roof and stretching and trying to cool off and looking over and seeing this beautiful woman. And that led to the stirrings of thoughts and ideas and the mind. And then, then there was this emotional connection, this focus that brought them closer together. And you see what's happened that something's been set into motion in a particular way. And it's only going to lead to one thing. And you can kid yourself and you can pretend that's not going to happen. I'm not going to go there. It's just like that with, you know, like I say, with with chemicals, and you think, well, I'll do this, but I'll never do that. I played that game. Well, I'll, I'll take this, but I'll never do that. And then you do that. You think, well, I'll drink this, and I'll, I'll, I'll eat these pills, but never those, and I'll never do this. Well, I will never, I can remember being in a place in my life when I said, well, I'll never trip. I'll never drop acid. And I felt so noble. I felt so righteous. And I just think, how did I even get here? To this place because that's the way the enemy works and that's the way he'll work in these relationships he's not just going to come to you one day and say see that woman over there and you don't even know her hey how would you like to have a sexual relationship with that woman no it's just going to be it's going to move in that direction and in 2 Samuel 11 verse 4 this is where it leads and he slept with her David where did you think this was going to go now, you can try in that moment to say, you know what, I was just kidding. I was just teasing. I was just playing around. I didn't mean for this to happen, and so, I, you know, I'm a, but it's going to be really hard. Now, he could have turned around and gone back in the house the very first day. That would have solved the problem at that first perimeter. At that second perimeter, he could have just awakened to those alarms and focused his thoughts on something else and said, what am I doing? I need to get out of here. I need to go back. I need to go back downstairs. I need to. He could have decided against having Bathsheba when she was brought to him. He, I mean, all of, all of 
along the way, at each point, he could have said, I've busted through these perimeters, and I'm at this very last one. When you get to that last one, it's going to be a lot harder than you think to not violate that one as well. But just don't go there. Just don't go there. Here's what happened in, in 2 Samuel 11:5. It says, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. Oh, the consequences begin. Now, did the enemy tell David, if you do this, here's what's going to happen, and you're going to have to kill her husband? So you're going to have to do this, you're going to have this child, and now you're in a panic, and you don't know what to do. So you're going to have to have an abortion, or you're going to have to kill somebody, or you're going to have to do this, you're going to have to do that, you're going to have to lie, and then you're going to have to lie on top of that lie. And did you see the death that it begins to produce? Folks, I love you. I love you, and I, I, want, you to, I want you to be wise. David is now facing these real-life consequences and these repercussions that he can't change because he's violated these perimeters. You are responsible for protecting the relationship with your fiancé, with your husband, with your wife. As with most valuables, an effective protection system can guard against that asset. This is my iPad, and it's in a cover. I don't like covers. I have the thinnest one on my phone that I could find, you know, because I just don't like big, bulky covers. Some of you do. My wife has one. It's, it's made of brick and metal, and it's like this. And you could actually launch it out of a cannon and shoot it against a wall. Nothing will happen to it. Uh, it's just, you can take it to the depths of the ocean, drop it out of an airplane. I mean, it's just indestructible. Mine is like, I'm just kidding around. It's really not going to do much to protect except for some scratches or something. When it comes to your relationship, you don't need this kind of cover and protection, okay? You need one of those that, like, military-grade, serious kind of thing. Uh, and and that's, what, that's what this message is, has been about. You need to protect your relationships. Healthy, satisfying, God-honoring marriages don't usually make the headlines, do they? It's when there has been a scandal with ministers, with politicians, with community leaders, with people that we respect and love uh, because they allowed these perimeters to be broken uh, in their lives. If you will, this morning, right now, decide to set up these four perimeters, and you may have already broken down one or two or three or even four of these, if you will allow the Holy Spirit to reconstruct those, he'll pull you back. He'll protect you. He'll save you. Now, I drew these so that you could help, kind of help you to remember them and um, I want to put those up there, and I want to I want to read you something. If you could put those up, and I'm going to get my planner. Say, would you hand me my planner? I just want to read you something. Um, this is Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 21 and 22. Men, especially, will you listen to this just for a moment? If you refuse to surrender. This is what the Lord has revealed to me. Your feet are sunk in the mud. And this is in a context of a battle where you need to be able to move and to fight and to defend and to turn and to strike. And now your feet are sunk in the mud. If you refuse to surrender, if you refuse to listen to this, if you refuse to construct those four perimeters in your life, you're sunk. For healing... We must open these three inner spaces, my opinionated head, my closed-down heart, my defensive and defended body. You want to be restored to sanity. Every sinful act you take has a lie of destruction built around it. There is a filter. There is a filter that's there enemy doesn't want you to see the truth. I've shared with you the truth today. 
would you stand please and I'm just going to pray and here's, here's what I'm going to do we're gonna, how we're going to close out today and it made me feel kind of abrupt after a heavy message like that um, but I just want to pray over our couples today and I want to pray for those of you and you say well, we're really not in I'm not in a relationship but I'd like to be one day and if God by his grace leads you into a relationship I hope you already have these perimeters in place so you're good to go you are mature and ready for a beautiful romance. Let me just pray for you. And we'll be done. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for these beautiful relationships. I thank you for every couple in this room today. Some who are headed for marriage and they're trying to figure this out and they want to do it right from the very beginning. I pray a blessing on them today. I pray that you would build perimeters into their lives. I pray, Father, that you give them an exciting and beautiful and vibrant future. Father, I pray for our married couples today. I pray for those who are in trouble and they have pushed past these perimeters because the enemy has lured and enticed them and has covered up the consequences and they have found themselves drawn away. I pray that you would repair reconstruct that father just like the walls of Jerusalem when they were broken down and, and Nehemiah repaired those out of the rubble and built this, this beautiful thing Lord would you rebuild marriages and reconstruct what the enemy has tried to tear apart I pray for men in this room to lead their families and to know that Proverbs is right when it says that a wife is, is like a beautiful crown, like a jewel that the Lord has given them. And they would protect that like they would anything of value. And I pray for these men, whether they're at that visual place or the emotional or mental place or the physical place, or even they've gone all the way to the sexual place, but I pray you'd pull them back I pray, Father, that you would protect these marriages. And I believe there's some folks in this room who, who are in dangerous places and situations, and they're headed for even more danger. Right now, it may just be like flirting in the office or uh, inappropriate comments or hugs that last too long and are too close. Lord, I don't know. But I pray you would... Give us wisdom today and pull us back. Take us to safe places. I pray that you would create romance and beauty and intimacy into these relationships and these marriages. That you would bring healing and oneness and newness and freshness. We trust you for that, Father. And this has been a tough message, a heavy message. But I believe an important one. And so we, we give it to you and pray that you take it in all the directions and places you need to go. And Father, we, we love you and we praise you today. And thank you for what you're going to do from this moment forward. And the healing and the victory that's going to happen for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.